Good evening. It is good to be together. As James has already mentioned tonight, how beautiful the singing is. And if you will notice, anyone that sets up in the very front, they can't help but mention how good the singing is. And uh, of course, we sing to exalt and to adore our Lord. We also sing to encourage each other. And so I might just offer a suggestion and you, of course, can uh, reject it or accept it. You can't all do it on the same Sunday night, but if you want to give yourself a wonderful gift, sit down on one of these very front rows right here where you are hearing the whole congregation, and it is absolutely amazing. If you're a guest, we're glad that you're here tonight. It encourages us. We want to be an encouragement to you. We are glad that our youth are back with us. They've had a wonderful, wonderful weekend, the retreat, and there are a lot of good things that have already been reported about this weekend, and hopefully you'll have the opportunity to hear about those. If you have kids or grandkids or nephews or nieces that have been a part of this, you ought to ask them about the weekend because it truly was a huge spiritual blessing. We're thankful that our ladies had a wonderful retreat also this weekend. Uh, we're thankful for the blessing that you are in the life of this congregation and the many, many ministries that you're a part of and the great good that is done in the name of the Lord uh, through your work. And we're so thankful for you. Also, on behalf of my family, I would thank you for a very generous uh, wedding shower this afternoon for Colton and his fiancée, Rachel. Uh, the gifts were wonderful, uh, but your expression of love is even more meaningful. And we thank you so much for that. Several years ago, Tracy and I was walking in downtown Nashville, probably five, six years ago. And we were on probably the third or the fourth block away from the river there in downtown. And, and we rounded the corner and we walked up a partial way up the block and there was a woman sitting on, and, and I don't remember now if it was on some steps that were coming out of a building or a little low ledge, but, but she had her feet on the sidewalk and, and she was sitting low to the ground. And as we approached her, uh, it was obvious that she was crying. And, and she looked us in the eyes, and we kind of slowed down, expecting her to say something. It was just one of those moments where we thought she was going to say something to us. And she didn't, and both of us almost said something to her. And just as we passed, Tracy said, we should help her. She's crying. And I said, I, you know, lame answer, I, I don't know, I don't know. And we took a couple more steps, and she said, did you see her? She was crying. And I said, yes, but and now we're taking a couple more steps. And she squeezed my hand real hard and she said, I'm going back. And so within about eight or ten steps away from her, we turned around to help her. And she's gone. I have no logical explanation for that. She was not near anywhere it appeared that she could disappear that quickly. We even walked to what would be the nearest alley, the nearest doorways, and the nearest block, looking everywhere, and could not find her. And upon the last place that we could look, Tracy looked to me and she said, you know that God just sent us an angel in need, and we didn't help. What do you believe about angels? I don't tell you that story because now you ought to believe that about angels. I tell you that story to stir your mind right now. If you had to get out a blank piece of paper and say, this is what I believe about angels, what do you believe about angels? 
there's been so much said through the years about angels that I really believe a lot of times as Christians it begins to muddle in our minds of did I hear that from people? Did I hear that from sex? Or did I hear that from the Word of God? What do you believe about angels? You know, in the medieval period, there was so much trivial arguments about angels that as a whole, Christianity seemed to quit discussing angels because it was disgusting to think that scholars would debate about how many angels could stand on, on the point of a needle. Or they would discuss about whether or not they could fly. And if they could fly, how fast could they fly? And then they would discuss things about, does everyone have their own personal angel to guard them? But then it would go like this. And if they do, when do they have it? Do they have it at the point of conception? Do they have it at the point of birth? Or do they have it at the point of baptism? And so it began to be so many discussions that it seemed like it wasn't worthy to have discussions about it. And then in the 4th century, the Catholic Church began to venerate them and lift them so highly that the archangel Michael has two tremendous buildings built in his honor. We look in pagans... In, in, in pagan uh, doctrine, and it's rare to find a pagan doctrine that doesn't have something in some form of belief of some kind of spiritual existence in the form of angels and in the form of demons. The Latter-day Saints, much of their religion includes an active involvement in angels. They believe angels are messengers. That's what the word means. They believe angels are ministers. We definitely find that in the word of God. But they also believe that human beings will become an angel possibly when they die. Or that they were an angel and then came to this earth as a human being and might become an angel again. Now, if you think that's a little bit strange, it might not be true. But it's not strange because how many times has someone in this room said when someone's passed away, well, they are going to be an angel in heaven now. Listen, that might be sweet sounding and it might sound as if it's comforting, but it doesn't matter if it's a baby or a sweet elderly lady. There is nowhere in the word of God that would lead us to believe any kind of doctrine like that, teaching like that. That is as far of a stretch as a stretch can be made. Angels were created and human beings were created and we never know of any kind of transformation from one becoming another or vice versa. They do believe that that happens and they believe that Michael the archangel was Adam. They believe that Gabriel was Noah. And they have on the top of their temples Moroni. That's the trumpet, the angel with the trumpet that they have on the top of their temples. They believe that they believe an entire culture that pre-existed in America that nobody else in history knows about. And Moroni was one of the prophets and the warriors that existed in that culture. And so they believe he lived upon earth and now he is an angel in heaven. They don't believe that angels fly. So you'll never see their angels depicted with wings. You go over to the Muslim uh, faith, the Islamic faith. They, they have a very active belief in angels. Uh, they, they believe kind of like some of the pagan beliefs where there's gods for everything. They believe that there's an angel for so many different things. They believe there's an angel that guards paradise. There's an angel that guards hell. There, there, there is an angel uh, over nature. Uh, there, there is, there, there's just almost an angel uh, over death. There's an angel for almost everything it seems like. Now, not that that's so important to our faith, but the reason I'm giving you all those examples 
is because I think sometimes many of those things affect more of our understanding of angels than what actually the Bible says. I don't agree by any stretch of the imagination that everything uh, Billy Graham ever said uh, was, was truth. I, I, there's so many things that he teaches about the church I don't agree with. There's so many things about the plan of salvation I don't agree with. But several years ago, he wrote a book. And in that book, he, he gave, in that day and time, there were a lot of things being said about angels because people were, so many people then were talking about personal visitations from angels. The UFOs were a hot topic, and a lot of people were linking that to angels. ESP was a hot topic then, and they were linking that to angels. And that that's when America seemed to really become intrigued with the idea of demons. And so that led also to a lot of discussion of angels. And so what, what Billy Graham said was, he gives a long quote here that, that I'm not going to read all the quote, but the things I just mentioned to you, he goes through each one of those and says, I don't believe in angels because of this. And he goes through each one of those things. But notice at the bottom of this quote here, he says, I believe in angels because the Bible says there are angels. And I believe the Bible to be the true word of God. Let me pause for just a moment and ask you, what do you believe about angels? Do you believe they exist? Do you believe that they're biblical? What do you believe about angels? I believe that angels do exist because it's just found too many times in the Bible. So what if we could say tonight, what if our eyes were open like the servant of Elisha? Elisha had a servant, and the servant saw the enemy surrounding them in 2 Kings, the 6th chapter. And so he, he talks about, uh, Elisha tells him in verse 16 not to be afraid. And so Elisha prayed this in 17. He said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes, talking about his servant's eyes, that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountains was, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now listen, the chariots of fire that he saw there was not human beings. That was a heavenly host that God sent to protect them. Tonight, I simply want to urge you, will you open your eyes to whatever the Bible says about angels? Now, we're going to try to cover a lot of ground tonight, but you can rest assured on this. We won't touch a drop in the bucket for how many times God talks to us about angels. If you want to do a neat little exercise... Over the next couple of weeks, every time you're doing your personal Bible study in a Bible class or in a sermon, every time you read a passage, look to see if there's a heavenly host or an angel mentioned and underline it, and you're going to be shocked. All the stories that you know by heart that if somebody asks you right now, is there an angel in that story? And you say, no, there's not an angel in that story. Go back and look. You may be surprised there's an angel in this story. Like just one little trivia one here. Is there an angel in the story of Daniel in the lion's den? Most people would probably say, no, I remember, there, no, there's not an angel there. Go back and read and see what kept the lion's mouth shut. It was an angel that kept the mouth shut. It's amazing how many times we have grown very comfortable just ignoring the fact that God has created a heavenly host that he uses as his messengers and as his ministers, and God doesn't hide them. We just seem to be very comfortable overlooking them. And so, mentioned over 300 times in the Bible, you know how thin the New Testament is and how thick the Old Testament is? Angels are mentioned many, many more times in the New Testament than they are the Old Testament. So what happens is it's a very, very frequent topic in the New Testament. So what is it that we need to know about angels that might help us? Let's make sure that we're not like the Sadducees. Remember the Sadducees were those groups of individuals that believed in God. They read from the old scriptures, which is kind of strange. They read from those scriptures, but they did not believe in the resurrection 
or angels or spirits, according to Acts 23 and 8. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Isn't that interesting? They could read all of those passages in the Old Testament that talked about angels, and then they could form a conclusion that angels did not exist. So let's ask Jesus, does angels exist? We could read oodles of passages here. Matthew, the 18th chapter and verse 10, he talks that angels exist. He says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. I was emailing Lacey this week just to check in with her, and we emailed back and forth a little bit, and and I told her what I was doing. I said, I'm studying on a lesson about angels. And she emailed me back, and she said, oh, try to prove that there's really an angel that's looking just after me. I love that idea of a guardian angel. It always makes me feel safe. Now, that is not a healthy way to study the Word of God. You do not decide what you want the Bible to say and then say, try to make it say that. But isn't it, isn't it a wonderful thought to think that maybe even in addition to the Godhead, that there are individuals who are created to minister to us and to look over us. Now, as you can imagine, a huge debate comes out of this particular passage here. Does this mean that every child has their own personal guardian angel? I don't know if you can deduct that from this passage, but you have to understand the fact that Christ said that there are angels that are designated to look over children and to keep their face before the Father. And so I don't know the ratio. But we're going to see later on in this lesson, as powerful as angels are, we definitely have a wonderful and a powerful source looking over us as long as angels are involved. He also spoke, that is Jesus in Matthew, the 24th chapter and 31 of his second coming. And when he was telling about no one knowing it, he even said uh, of when it's going to be, he even said the angels of heaven do not know it. So if we stopped and asked Jesus, do you believe in angels? There would be no doubt that Jesus would say, I believe in angels. But as we develop this thought, then who are they? One of the things that we need to be real clear about is that just like we talked about a while ago, that they're not human beings. It's, it's not some kind of superhuman being. And that's who an angel is. But so that's one side of the pendulum. We do not swing that pendulum all the way to the other side, though, and say, you know, they're, they're God. They're, they're as powerful as God. They can do the things God does. No, they can't. They are not deity. And so one reason we know that is because angels were created. And that, in other words, God created angels. We read that in Colossians, the first chapter, in verse 16, when he says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven. Everything that's in heaven except God was created. And we know angels are there and he was created. Now you say, well, that's not enough proof for me. Go to Psalm 148 and verse 2. And this says it as clearly as it needs to be said. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Now skip down to verse 5. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. So angels were definitely created. They praise God. But now as we think, and if, if I were going to rewrite this slide, I would probably change one thing on the heading of this slide just to be a little more clear to maybe something that I could prove. I have here, they were created before time. You know, in Genesis 1 and 1, it says, in the beginning. So that denotes the beginning of time. In other words, before in the beginning, there was no time. It was eternal. But then we come, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if he created the heavens first and then the earth, 
Angels could have been created in the realm of time. It would have just been at the very beginning before the earth was created. Or it could be that the heavenly hosts were created and then God began time and created them. Not that that has a huge impact upon our salvation or whatever, but it is interesting to be able to gather whatever God reveals to us. There's a reason why he reveals it. He wants us to know it. So we go to Job. And you remember Job was having trouble getting through a time in his life that probably none of us here can even imagine all the things that Job was going through. And so God is going to give him a set of questions here to strengthen his faith so that he could see that God is worthy of trust. And so he is going to show him how powerful he as God is. And notice what he says here in Job 38 and 4. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Can you imagine? Hey, Job, we're... Were you there? You know, when we were deciding how big we were going to make the earth, were you there? Were you a part of that conversation? And he says, surely you know. A little sarcasm there. Or who stretched the line upon it? You ever build something and stretch a plumb line? Were you there when we were laying the foundation of the earth? Were you the one stretching the plumb line? Or, or to what were its foundations fastened? When it was hung upon his axis, were you there to tell us how that worked? Notice this next part. Who laid his cornerstone? Verse 7. When the morning stars, that's, that's angels. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God, that's angels, shouted for joy. Isn't it amazing to think that the heavenly host had already been created and God makes this universe? How many times have you seen pictures from space and you look down at the earth and you just go, wow. That's amazing. You know what? God created the earth, and angels looked down and said, That's amazing. They shouted for joy and they began to sing. It's interesting that we don't see angels singing many times in the Bible. I'm not saying they don't sing much, they may sing all the time, but we see them singing at the creation of the earth and universe. We also see them singing when Jesus came to this earth. And there's a time in Revelation that we see them singing. And this is one of those times. Now, when we think about them being created, just a little side point of interest is we assume, as it appears, be very difficult to prove for 100% fact, but we assume all the angels created one time. We never know of another time that is revealed that God created more angels, and we don't know of any way that angels can reproduce. And what leads us to understand that is Matthew, the 22nd chapter, verse 29, when Jesus answered and said, when the question was, who's this wife? Is she going to be the wife of which one of the brothers that had already deceased? He says, you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures. Isn't that interesting how we can draw a lot of false conclusions when we don't understand the scriptures? Nor the power of God. For for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given to marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. Now, we know that under God's plan, we understand that we're not perfect beings, but under God's plan, there would never be reproduction of human beings outside of marriage. And so here he's saying, in heaven, there's not going to be marriage or the being given in marriage. We're going to be like angels. And so... That gives us some insight there of, of their creation, 
and uh, who they are and that they're not deity. But on this next slide, we're reminded also of the fact that they're not deity in the sense that they cannot be omnipresent. They can't be two places at one time. God has no problem being with us here tonight, and he would have no problem with being in, in Sudan also at this very moment. He's, he is deity. He is God. He, he is omnipresent. But yet an angel, to our understanding... One particular angel could not be here and over in Africa at the same time. We see in Daniel, the ninth chapter, which is about the 70 years and the prophecy of that. And this is where, where Daniel is saying a prayer that Gabriel is going to come and interpret that prayer. And he says, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And notice in 22, his intelligence. Notice the intelligence of Gabriel. And he informed me and he talked with me and he said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you the skill to understand. So he was higher than Daniel in his knowledge and he was going to bestow that and offer that to him. But for this particular reason, we're reading this now. Isn't it interesting that he had to travel there? Now, then comes the debate. Do angels have wings? Well, this passage says they flew. And some people say, oh, no, that's poetic license to just say that they can really transport very quickly. I do know Isaiah, the sixth chapter, the seraphims not only had wings, they had six wings. And so I don't understand if we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the seraphims, which are a form of angels, if they had wings, what's so hard about believing that any of the other angels would also have wings, especially when the Bible talks about them flying about. And so to me, it's just very logical to conclude that if the Bible says some of the angels have wings and then we read about other angels flying about, it's probably pretty safe to assume that they have wings. And so we see they're not omnipresent. They do have to transport and apparently they can transport very, very quickly. Now, there is a major exception to the things that we've been talking about. We've been talking about whether or not angels are deity. Now, there is an angel that reappears in the Old Testament a few times. And this angel would be the exception because, keep in mind, an angel is a messenger. And this angel, it's probably a Christophany, the idea of where Christ presents himself, but not as Jesus Christ. We understand the second member of the Godhead to come to this earth incarnation. He took on flesh and blood as we open up the New Testament. But what about the times that he appeared to man in the Old Testament where he did not appear in flesh and blood, but he did appear as a messenger? And so this would be probably one of those examples. This is where in Genesis, the 16th chapter, verse 7, now the angel of the Lord found her, and I put in parentheses there, Hagar. That's not in the original text. I just wanted you to remember what this text is. This is where Sarai grew very uh, jealous and decided she wanted to kick her handmaiden out because Abram conceived a son with her. And so Abram and Sarai have her to leave. And so now this woman with a young child is going out in the wilderness. How in the world is she going to survive? Well, this is how she's going to survive. The angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. Now, if we skip down six more verses, look what she calls this angel of the Lord in the 13th verse. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees. The Bible seems to make it very clear that the angel of the Lord is God. And it seems to be the Lord God, the second member of the Godhead. We see 
the angel of the Lord being referred to in Exodus the third chapter with Moses. The angel of the Lord appeared to him. We see the angel of the Lord appearing to Gideon in, in, in Judges, I believe it's the third chapter. We see the angel of the Lord appearing to, to Samson's father a little bit deeper in the book of Judges. We see the angel of the Lord appearing to Zechariah in the first or second chapter. Those are about, though, the extent of the times that we see the angel of the Lord. And so when we think rank and file, there's also a lot of discussion when you begin to study angels in depth about what is the order. Well, we would know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the angel of the Lord would be the highest messenger that's been sent to this earth. But then we do have the archangel, Michael, and we have Gabriel that we're not exactly sure if he's another archangel or is he assistant to the archangel. And then we have seraphims, we have cherubims, and, and, so, and then we have many, many other angels that are mentioned and even host of angels. I don't know if anybody, I don't think enough uh, is revealed to us in the scriptures to understand exactly what this order is. And so somebody says, well, David, what are you trying to do? Confuse it. No, I'm trying to paint a scene for you that there's a heavenly host out there that has been active before the world was even created. And I think sometimes we're not even aware of what the scriptures does reveal to us of how powerful and how active the heavenly host is. From tonight forward, I want you to just read the Bible and take note of how God blesses us in so many ways. He blesses us in things that we can see. And in so many ways, He blesses us with things that we can't see, but He tries to at least describe them to some degree. Now, if we had a little more time, we could spend some time in, in Revelation, the 12th chapter, and we could see that not all of them got to keep their home in heaven. When Satan fell, who apparently was an angel, uh, he brought out a portion. Revelation 12 speaks of, of a third of the angels with him to heaven. When we go down into verse 7, verse 7 talks about the war that broke out in, in heaven. Michael and his angels fought the dragon, and we know from verse 9 that the dragon is Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. What a discussion you could have, but we would not know for certain what the answer is. How do angels fight? We, we got an idea of how men fight. We have an idea of how dogs fight. There's a lot of things we know how they fight, but how do angels fight? We don't know how they fight. So then you say, well, why is this in the scripture? This is huge. This is in the scripture to show us that once in heaven, there was a serious battle between wickedness and goodness, and righteousness won out. And wickedness was cast out of heaven because wickedness cannot stay in heaven. And so when you think about why do you want to go to heaven, one of the wonderful reasons to go to heaven is because it's kept pure. And any kind of evil or any kind of defilement that has ever tried to live or reign in heaven has been put in its place out of heaven. I want to go to a place like that. I want to go to a place where only God exists and everything that God has created that's lovely and wonderful and exalts God and holds up the standard of righteousness. What a wonderful, wonderful place to live. Tonight, we'll close there and we'll continue a study perhaps next Sunday night of the personal attributes that we see of angels and things like that. But tonight... I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to think about some obvious things, but think deeper. We're humans, just 
humans. But we're given a soul. A soul that is from the spiritual realm that is never going to die. And really, according to the scriptures, you're more soul than you are body. Because when your body dies, you will still exist as the soul. You, your soul, is going to live for an eternity. Not only with a lot of other souls, but with a lot of other angels and hosts. And you get to decide if you want to live with the ones that are righteous and that have spent their existence as messengers and ministers to God, or if you want to live with the ones that rebelled against God, grew full of pride, and were cast out. There is so much beyond our understanding. But there is so much offered to us. One day, one day, we're going to step over into the other side. And it's almost going to be like jaw drop, elbow to your neighbor. Can you believe this? Or jaw drop and realize... I have really, really missed it. Tonight, all that God offers is so much bigger than this moment. It's so much bigger than just this phase in your life. The truth is, it's so much bigger than your life. If we don't understand God and all He offers, we can literally miss it all. If you need to come to God, if you're ready to be immersed into Christ, if you need to come back to God and just beg His forgiveness, if you're struggling or hurting and you want prayer, if there's anything we can do for you tonight, if we can help you come as we stand and as we sing.